Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Stories podcast from the Institute for Mountain Research at Westminster College. Here in Salt Lake City, things remain hot, and like much of the American West, we're viewing the world through a smoky, anxious haze. Our goal at the Institute is to think about the complicated relationships we have with mountains, and to build connections between mountain people, and to examine our own relationships to the mountain places in which we live, work, and play. As part of that effort, over the last year, we've been collaborating with Dr. Shomei Pu, collecting a series of stories from people from Asia or with Asian and Pacific Islander ancestors who found themselves here in the Salt Lake Valley. Dr. Pu's project, Mountains and Stories, Building Community Among Asian Refugees and Immigrants, aims to collect these stories and to share them with you. This week, I'm really happy to introduce Prashanti Limbu. Prashanti is an environmental studies major here at Westminster College, who's originally from Nepal. And over the next 45 minutes or so, you'll have a chance to hear her tell stories of her childhood, of her grandparents in Nepal, and of the place she now calls home. You'll also get a chance to hear a rendition of the Nepalese national anthem. We really had a lot of fun talking with her. So my name is Prashanti Limbu, and I'm a junior here at Westminster College. My major is environmental studies. Yoo-hoo! I chose that finally. Yeah, I would say I like being outdoors whenever I have the chance. Yeah, I, ju- I would just say I like to visit places and I like making friends from different nationalities. And with that, I would say people, I would see people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. I feel like it will broaden my horizon and I don't really have to sometimes take a deep dive into it. Just by forming a social group, I would, I would form a from an environment where I would get to know so many people and so much about them. So I really like that aspect. So yeah, that is why I feel like I'm traveling here and I'm here in the first place. I believe that is the the main reason why I'm here in, this, in Salt Lake City. In Nepal, I was born and raised in a town called Haran. And now it is a city, but back then it was just a, a tiny town. It is It is located in the lowlands of of the of the country, so we call it Tarai, and it is it lies towards the eastern side of the country. So, I was not I'm not from the mountains, but I was born and raised down in the southern plains, which is close to the mountains. My hometown lies on the foothills of the mountains. I could always see mountains around me while growing up. When I wanted to explore, I would say I wouldn't I I do not really remember when I went there while I was trying to explore on my own, but. We did go to mountains still. There was a place, a hill station, not far from my hometown, and my family and friends, we used to go there. We used to take like vehicles, like bus, like four-wheel bus, and we used to get up there and just celebrate. And that was the experience of me being in the mountains rather than me going for, for other outdoor, outdoor activities like hiking. So yeah, that is the first memory that I have. Like we were going there as a family, as a group to be there out and just have a picnic, just some kind of feast, but not really go out there as, as let's say, athletes who like to hike or cycle. So that is the first memory I have. Did you uh, often go visit your parents, uh, grandparents, uh, while you were growing up? Yeah, um, my grandparents, they, they live in the middles of eastern Nepal. So my grandparents, they used to live up in the mid-hills and I really loved visiting them because it felt, I mean, it felt really good because they, the way they treated me and my sister and the environment there was really nice. I, I really loved my cousins who were of, like, of my age and we would, 
all be all be less work walking together and we would go up and down the hill down to the river where there was a place where it, two different rivers made well i don't really i don't think i really know the name the term in english but in nepali it is called loban where two rivers meet and we used to just be out there swim all day and like i said go up the mountain not the up but somewhere in the middle in the in the mid mountain let's say not all the way up but somewhere in the middle and that's where our grandparents used to live and the next part was that i really loved the food there the organic food that they have just rice and beans that's it rice and beans it used to be heaven like so good and i really miss that food uh, how far is uh, your hometown from your grandparents village I would say, I mean, my grandparents, they lived kind of far away. Without any direct roads, it would always take a lot of time for you to get there. And given that we don't really have tunnels and stuff to actually just, you know, leave for, for us to get from one point to another, it was always difficult. So we used to take two different, two different vehicles. First, from my hometown to a place called Damak. And it used to take, I believe, it used to take around two hours, I believe, two or three hours. I might be wrong. And then we used to, from there, it used to take like somewhere around two hours, I guess, two more hours. By walking, I've also walked from my, from my maternal uncles, like the home of my grandparents, to the, to the um, town in the base of the mountain called Damak. Because one time there was no bus and we were missing school, so we had to walk. For hours, I yeah, and that might have taken us four to five hours, but yeah, it was a good experience trying to walk around the sword, but like right right next to the river, it was kind of a good experience. I don't know how I did that, but I was young, but I did that. I must have been somewhere around ten or eleven ish. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> but I really loved visiting my grandparents so i would take every opportunity to go there and meet them and where there used to be i don't know maybe there was some kind of political unrest going on it was maybe there was something but i don't really remember why there were no vehicles in the first place to take us to towns so we walked there uh yeah where we had our, some of our family members who, who came along to carry stuff for our bags and stuff for us but i remember it was a good walk i don't know how i did that but it was a very good walk <laughs> Um, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that I am from the foothills of the Himalayas because if you would ask me like okay you are okay tell me something about the mountains or the mountains of your home I would have to ask you what type of mountains are you talking about because in Nepal um, the country is divided into three different geographic um, locations like three different like uh, let's say sites or three different like parts. And the southern part is the plain, the southern plain, which is called Tarai in Nepali. And the mountain part is called the hilly region, which is commonly known as Pahad. And Pahad or Darakara, that's what they say. And you have the mountain winds, which is the Himalayas, which have, this, which have snow all the way around. So I would say, what type of mountain are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, I, wouldn't, I don't think I can necessarily, I can say that I am from the foothills of the Himalayas, even though I have seen them. I have not really been close even to the, to the base camp of, of any mountains um, in, my, in my country. So 
I would say I'm from the foothills of a mountain or a hill, but not the Himalayas. Did you remember um, what is the demographics and the way of life look like in your grandparents' village? Um, I would say that I did not really see a lot of people like in towns and I would see a lot of women and children and I think that is why I went there in the first place. There was no like male person, like the dominant person to, to order us what to do and that is why I felt like we children all gathered together and we played. I would say I would growing up I saw a lot of people not not like the males but the not the but the females and women and children. So when I asked uh, about my grandparents about how many people are there, they told me there were around seven thousand people and sixty percent of them have like kind of population were like out of the out of the like the villas because they were out there for job opportunities and mostly they were male, the men of the house who would go out for foreign opportunities, for foreign jobs. So yeah, that's that's what I know about about that villas. My grandfather told that 12 generations of his family have lived in that place. So there have been like so many Limbu people, like there still are so many Limbu people, but I did see some other ethnic groups. They were living with, um, they were living in the same place as my grandparents, and I think that was the only place where where people of different ethnic minorities, like ethnic groups, would would live with the Limbu clan. Well, there is a different mountain story to how that happened, why the place became like on like like dominantly filled with Limbu, and there was no like other ethnic class. My cousin told me there's a story to it. Long, long time back, on the top of the mountain, there used to be Brahmins, or who are the dominant caste of of Nepal. They are the Hindu. They are the Hindus. So they used to live with Limbu people. But one time, uh, Limbu people didn't like it, so they vanished and killed them. And yeah, that is why the like the let's say the entire mountain is kind of a limbo zone and not really welcoming to other dominant groups or the other 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 ethnic groups let's say not dominant but other ethnic groups and they also say that the um, bloods of those people have stained the the tiny village where my grandparents live and which is not really on the top not really on the bottom so somewhere in the middle so they say the blood has stained that place so that is why they say the place is cursed yeah, interesting. Uh, when I visited uh, Tibet, uh, I met a lot of people whose last name is also Mingbu. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, you know, uh, the history of the Mingbu clan and uh, where they are? I did my own research, Mountain Time and Beyond, over the summer. That's 2020, yeah, the year 2020, this year. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of textual research and I came across works of T.B. Subba. He is a professor in, in a university in India. He, even though his name is Subba, he belongs to the Limbu clan, so I figured he might have more answers. And I, he even gave me one of his work called, um, I think, Clear Mountains, where it showed 
how how Lingbu people were connected to somehow connected to the people, the tribes of the northeast northeast India and the Tibetan people. So I believe that if Tibetan people have some they have a last name Limbu, I believe it could be because of the fact that it is said that Limbu people were like herders at one point because there is a name, there's a term which is used by Limbu people called Yaktumba. I'm really I'm really familiar with that term too. I knew that term while I was while I was growing up. It's called Yaktumba, so it's actually means yak and yak the first is yak so for yaks which are not found in the middles so yak herders the name was given it is said that the name name was given by the um, tibetan the tibetan clans who would come to visit limbo people and who used to come up in the in the mountain the mountain plain i guess to work as a herder for for the yaks which are not found in the middles of nepal so that is how i feel i feel like that is a connection there like why Limbu people who do not like really have yaks in the materials where they live are called Yaktumba in the first place. I think I feel like the work that I read read from uh, the work of TB Suba, which I read, I feel like it really connects I think it it puts two and two together and I really feel like that is why the Tibetan like there are Tibetans whose last name would be Limbu. It could be because there were intercaste marriages at that point and that is how People have some such similar last names in two different regions of the country. So my maternal grandparents, whom I interviewed for my research, they they are farmers and herders, and there wasn't much to do in the tiny village. So they would just work on their own fields. At like not they were not really tiny, but like maybe sufficient enough to feed their entire family if there was a good harvest, a bumper harvest. Yeah, they used to work as farmers and herders they have a lot of cattle chicken goats pigs they are like must have pigs or must have stuff in a limbo household yeah so even in cities you have if you have like in my in my um in my city in my hometown which is dominated by the limbo clan or we like to say the mongolian tribes of nepal so we are one of the <laughs> mongolian tribes it might get people confused but there are people who have Southeast, like East Asian features, and we like to call ourselves the Mongolians of Nepal. So yeah, in in such household, like in let's say in Kirat household, Kirat is the religion of of Limbu people. So in a Kirat household, you are likely to find a tiny set or tiny set for a pig, like somewhere in the corner corner of the corner of your house, like not attached to the house, but it would be a tiny set where you would where you would raise your own pig or pigs. And later you would eat them. So yeah, that's what my grandparents did too. They would they would have different kinds of animals and sell them, and it was a way to earn income. And they would work on their own farms, um, maybe to maybe further, like not the commercial farming, but they would they would farm on their own lands to feed their family. And if there's a bumper harvest, they could also sell some some stuff here and there. But but they would just keep it for themselves. Well, back then, people did not really have good job opportunities up there. And still, they don't really have good opportunities, uh, except for the fact that people would go abroad because there are more chances for them to earn good living than, than living in their own village and working as farmers. Well, I feel like cities have affected them too. So they want to have a little bit of city life here and there, good education for their children. And 
I would say my grandfather, he was kind of farsighted. He really, he really uh, wanted his children to get educated. And my mom is the third daughter of the family, so he really wanted his daughter to go to school. My mom, she had a hard time going to school because from her home, it would take her around 45 to an hour to go to reach her school, and it wasn't an, it wasn't an easy walk. There were steep hills, and given that, she was, I think, the only one in in the group to go to the go to that school, but that far away from with boys. Uh, my grandfather thought, okay, maybe we should send her to to the town where they could where she could live with my with my brothers with other relatives to go to a better school, so she won't have much difficulty. And that is how my um, mom was sent to Tehran, my hometown, um, in the first place to get a good education far from, far from mountains and the struggle, I guess. I felt like I found Utah by chance. After my high school, well, there was a lot of trouble going on because I was trying to apply for universities because abroad and I had this in mind, like ever since I was a little girl, I just wanted to be out, out there in the world, go to some places where, where people speak English. It could be UK, US, or Australia, New Zealand. I wanted to go to one of these places. So I, I was aiming for, for the US and I was trying to find colleges to apply to. And yeah, it was just, I was just in my high school trained, um, talking with my friends. And well, I had already graduated, but I was still there tutoring. Um, tutoring my juniors because I was asked to tutor them. So yeah, I just came there. Yeah, I mean, and I was talking to one of my um, high school friend and he told me, hey, have you have you applied to Westminster College? I'm like, oh, where, where is it? It's in Utah. I'm like, what Utah? <laughs> because I had never heard about that state. And okay, it's like, I'll give you a shot. And yeah, I just applied and I was accepted and I was trying to see what, what type of scholarship that I have from, from different schools and I was telling the pros and cons. I was like, oh, well, I'll go to Utah. And that's how I came here. Before that, I had never heard about Utah, to be honest. So yeah, that's how I found Utah. Um, well, it was night when I came here. When I, when I landed here, it was, my flight was already late. So I didn't, really, I didn't really see much when I first arrived here. But as I started traveling, as I was going around, around the city, I saw mountains and it w I was very happy because it reminded me of, of my hometown, not just home, but my hometown because the mountains were so similar because like I said, my, my hometown is it's, it's located at the base of a mountain. So it was so similar, even though it was in a valley, but it was so similar to my hometown in terms of the mountains and the nature. It's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm home. So I was really happy and excited. So I feel like it helped me with my homesickness because, oh my God, I'm missing home. Now, just, I would just have to go somewhere where I could see the mountains and it would remind me of my home. Yeah, I just felt I was, I was home, but not home when I, when I first saw the mountains. Mm, I feel like one common thing that I found in both countries is that mountains are supposed to be strong and sturdy and just still. So I feel like that's what the mountains are, no matter where they are, so that would be a connection. But back home, if, I mean, if you have mountains, then it's really hard for you to say, 
like if you really like the mountains or not. Like we, we please, we take pride in the mountains, but we also know the consequences, the, the drawbacks of having mountains in our country. Because um, ever since I was a kid, uh, we had to, we had this social studies class where we would talk about geography of the country and we would learn about international relationship and about the world as well. So we were asked, do you think having mountains in Nepal is a boon or a curse to the country? So that really struck me because, like I said, my grandparents, they lived up in the mountains, far from the, what, what, is, what is known as civilization. They were just mountain people living as farmers. Yeah, like I said, there, was not a good, there were not good roads back then. I mean, they still don't have good roads now. And yeah, there are budgets allocated for the roads to be built, but because of the mountain structure and not good um, organization, it's just the roads are not, the roads, they are not there yet. Mountains, I think it's just constant. Mountains are just constant for us. It's always there and would not really sift. Well, people, like people did not really uh, perform any recreational activities on the mountains. Except, like, I mean, unless you unless you have plenty of time and resources to get to the trailhead in the first place. If not, then it was always difficult for you to get there. And me myself, I wanted to, I wanted to hike. I went to, I wanted to go out there. But well, we have mountains, but there are trees as well. And in the woods, you know, it's very scary for you. For for let's say a women identifying person to go there because who knows there might be bandits lurking around the corner like inside the woods and anything can happen it was it was really scary and i i don't think young people would actually go there well they did not they didn't used to go but now because of globalization people are making use of the mountains with ropeways with zipline they they are slowly introducing these ideas like in the country, but here in Utah, I feel like children's day, they know, they know the value of mountains and how they could make most use of it. Like every time it snows, you see people, people going up in the mountains trying to ski and snowboard. People also, every weekend, they go for hiking and like trek around, like take around the mountains. And that is not what you really find in Nepal. Just, it's just very difficult. I mean, there might be people, one or two, who might do it, like once in a month or twice in a month, and that would also be a lot. That would also be that would be considered as a lot to even ex to explore in the mountains. So, just mountains. They are just. I think they are just the way we see them. It's very different from from the way people in the Western world see it. Um, how would you describe your relationship with the mountains uh, in general? And uh, are there any specific mountains that you find a strong attachment to? Whenever I see mountains, uh, whether it's just plain mountains with some trees on it, without any snow or with snows, I feel strong connection because I feel like I'm home. No matter what kind of mountain I see, I feel home. But there has to be some kind of greenery, given that uh, most of the forests, they are evergreen, tropical forest. So there has to be some kind of green, green, uh, green in the forest. So I feel strong connection whenever I think of mountains, whenever I see mountains. We don't really know. I feel like uh, in Nepal, we don't really know how to make use of mountains or 
to build roads, roads like to build a tunnel or or make roads around it. So I feel like it has a lot of social problem to it. And like I said, I was very I'm very attached to my maternal grandparents too. And um, my mom's my mom's elder sister she she passed away at childbirth because they were not able to take her to a town because there was heavy rainfall and the and the river where where I where we used to go to play that river the the water level had rose so much it, it usually every year it rises so much that you wouldn't be able to use the dirt dirt road that was there in the first place similar stuff happened to my mom's cousin as well so her sister and cousin they suffered similar fate where they were not able to get to hospitals because of the road conditions and yeah because they live up in the mountains far away from far away from the hustle and bustle of the cities. I have a different kind of, sometimes, I wouldn't say always, but sometimes I have this conflicting feeling. I cannot always say that I want to be around the mountains. But, well, when I'm around mountains, I'm home. There are some mountain stories or folk tales about um, about Limbu people, but I did not really heard. I didn't really hear them personally. But while I was doing the research, uh, my research, I got to talk to I got to talk to my cousins and some of my family members. So it's it said that the rivers that connect at the base of the mountains, they have like different structures. At, I mean, they they are they just they are just different because there's a mountain story to it. So they're like long time back. There was this, there there were these two rivers called Mai and uh, Tamar and Mai rivers, and they they were kind of in love, but they wanted to meet down in the sea or the ocean so that they could get married, and that is why they started to make roads and carve roads to get there from their different locations from the from the top of the mountains. I mean, maybe that's where the glaciers were. And they started making their roads, their way to the ocean, but there were two liars, the other the other two rivers who just said false who just gave false information about about the about the rivers and they said, Oh, your partner kind of got got married to someone and, and to the other one they said, Oh my god, your your partner has already reached the ocean without you and whatnot. So Tamar is supposed Tamar River, who is supposed to be the male river, got very angry. So that's why he made uh, he carved the he's carved his way in such a way that it's not really the the sea not sea floor, but let's say the river floor is not really stable and it's very wonky. But when they realized that they were being lied to, it is said that the rivers, that the two rivers were cursed and they were told to, they were told that they can never reach the ocean. And if they have to reach the ocean, then they have to take a gift, like a dead body. So yeah, since the, I think the river, the, the liars, the river, the liar, the liar rivers, they they go through the uh, village where my grandparents live. It is said that those rivers bring destruction because they want to get to the ocean and they cannot do it alone. So they have to kill people or animals. So yeah, so lands, they bring, the rivers bring landslide and whatnot. 
Yeah, and my cousin told us he kind of believed it too because of the fact that the land was cursed, the river is cursed, so the people are affected. That could be the reason why there's not much of a development up, up there. Even though it is uh, central, it would be a specific place for, for Limbu people because they have their guru of Kirat religion up there who preach and even though many followers, pilgrims, they come up in the mountains, well, there's not much development over there. I mean, there, there is like there is a lot of difference. From I mean, I feel like the place is a lot different from what it was in in twenty years in the last twenty years. But it has it has seen significant difference. The place has seen significant difference. But I wouldn't say it has developed the way it should be. Given that it is it is the the central space, the place where the Kirat people has to go. To worship their guru and to feel connected to it, their limbu religion. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Kira religion, as you mentioned it? Unlike the dominant Hindu Hindu groups, we limbu people we have our own religion. It's called the Kirat religion. So um, there is another ethnic group who follows this religion as well, and they are the Rai people. I would say. If you look at us, maybe you wouldn't be able to find the difference between us, but we have different languages and some of our attires, they match as well, but not entirely. There are some differences here and there. And given that we do not share the same language, there's a huge difference too. So these are the two main, two ethnic groups who follow Kirat religion. Historically, there were, there were many Kirat Kingdom, which was not part of the Nepalese kingdom. So there was a political unification going in the 1700s, I think, 1770s or somewhere in that time, when the Nepalese king or the Gorkha king, he was trying to invade the Limbu kingdoms and there was a constant battle and there was a tie between the two, between the two kingdoms. At one point, they were like, okay, fine. The Limbu king said, we will be part of your will be part of your nation, but we would have to have the rights to our own land. We would be, we should be able to govern our own, our own kingdoms. But later on, from the research, that from the textual research that I was doing, I, I found that the rights were kind of slowly lifted, and the and the Nepalese king or the Gorkha kings kind of slowly, slowly took over the rights of the Limbu people. So yeah, that is why. That is why they say there's not not much rights that was given to us when there was mon Hindu monarchs. I learned that Limbu people were actually suppressed and they are still suppressed because they were dominated by the by the Hindu clan. And I feel it, it is really interesting because I maybe because I never learned this in the history books. We were taught uh, in this year of maybe seventy something, seventeen hundred something, Limbu kingdom they got annexed to the to the um, country of Nepal, and I'm like, okay, they got annexed, but no, no background. Like, how so? Like, what happened in the first place? They do not talk over that treaty. Nothing. Uh, maybe all because of the fact that I lived most of my life in a place that was dominated by Hindu, not not the Hindu, but the Limbu people. And I feel like I felt I did not really feel marginalized at all. I always felt at home. Maybe because my my dad's side, in my dad's side, we. We are Hindus, they converted their religion. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm just a Hindu. I am Hindu as well, I am Kirat as well, and my family also follows a different guru. And I would say I can, I follow three different religions. I would say I do not really have a religion. And 
that's okay for you, given that Nepal is a secular state. You can preach or practice any kind of religion. You can see me celebrating Tihar or Diwali or my own uh, festival, Chasok Tongnam, which is which which is somewhere which is held somewhere around the month of December, mid December, I guess. I do not have religion, but I have religions, and well, that is my identity in terms of religion. Because uh, religions, as you said, and language, uh, and the stories, and your experiences of uh, living um, in a small town and visiting your grandparents have uh, been such a um, big part of who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have moved here, I, I don't think there is a big uh, Nepalese community in Salt mm -hmm. Lake. So um, how do you stay uh, connected uh, with uh, your own sense of identity? Um, that is who you are as a Hindu, as a curate. Um, I feel like um, because of the fact that I was mostly raised in a Hindu household. Typically, we weren't really religious, but uh, I grew up in a Hindu household. So even though I do not want to identify myself as a Hindu pers person, but I feel like most of my cultures, most of the culture that I have within me is more Hindu culture. So I feel like that is why we have Nepalese communities here and we celebrate um, this festival and this Tihar, let's say, Diwali that's going on. It's kind of the part of a big festival of Nepalese people. So it's connected with a festival called Dasai, where people would go to their, the homes of their elders and bring their children food and eat and drink a lot. And there's supposed to be a gap in between, but while growing up, there was not a gap. Like there was not really a two weeks gap, but rather the government would government had always merged it together and it was termed as holiday. So we had a month-long month holiday to celebrate festivals. Uh, I feel like I lean more towards Hindu culture, even though there are like uh, less Nepalese people or a small Nepalese community, I can easily associate myself with them. But uh, on the other hand, that means that my, my identity as a curate or a limbo person is declining because I went to a school in my hometown and I was only taught in Nepali and English as a, as a kid. Like ever since I was a kid, I was just taught in two languages. I do not really know my native language. My mother, uh, she, she had some idea, but she never taught me. Maybe because she knew she was trying to seal me from the harsh judgments of people. If I, would, if I were to speak my native language, I would have an accent. So they were really scared about it. And my dad... I don't think he knows anything about Limbu because Limbu language because his family moved to the city when he was very young. And um, yeah, he just, yeah, he stayed in Hong Kong with his parents where they really living in Nepal, like, like some Nepalese communities. So I would say he didn't really learn Limbu language because there were other Limbu people, not other Nepalese people in Hong Kong in, in the small camp where they were living. So. I believe they only spoke in Nepali to have this 
connection. So my dad, he doesn't know anything about lingual language, but my mom, she knows, but she never taught me. So I feel like it was to shield me from, from judgments. So yeah, I'm kind of mad about it too. Not really mad about it, about it too, because you are just trying to protect me and my sister. But yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel, I really feel I'm getting detached from my Limbu identity, from my Limbu culture, because after the research that I did, I feel like I did not really follow the rules, the culture of the, the Limbu religion, like I should as a, as a good Limbu person. But yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm more, a, more of a Hindu person, even though I do not just claim myself to be a Hindu. And yeah, we have our own script, our own alphabet, and I've seen that and it's not uh, well in Nepal you have around 123 languages, but like I think many of them they are just spoken. They are not they don't have any written script to it, but fortunately for, for the limbo language we have our own script. And so yeah, you can learn it, but but who would teach me? They would not really, they, they wouldn't really have a limbo class in my hometown. So I never got to learn that. But maybe if I try now, I could do that. But okay, but who would I find? Who would teach me now? <laughs> maybe if I try more, I could. But yeah, so I would always feel sad about that, that I was not able to learn my own language. And I really, and I really feel sorry for my grandparents because every time we come to visit they have to talk in Nepali and even though I, I, I know it's so difficult for them to speak that, that language even though when I was interviewing them I could, I, could, I could see they were having trouble but well they just did it for me so yeah I, I feel bad about that because they, can, they are, are talking to me in Nepali but I cannot talk to them in Limbu Besides some greeting words here and there, I have no idea. <laughs> so yeah, whenever I used to visit them in the mountains and go up, up in the in the in the top of the mountains and just just visit that tiny village on top of the mountain, people would people would say like, okay, yeah, you look like Limbu. Like no, I wouldn't have confused you for any other group, and I would have definitely thought you lived here. But well, you said you do not live here, so yeah, now I know that. So. Well, I do see, I do, I do look like a limbo person, but I feel like I did not really, I feel like I'm not really a limbo person because I do not know the language and do not really follow the culture and the tradition. So yeah, that's the sad part. It's the point out of the word of mountains. <laughs> okay. Point, yeah, yeah, I could say that. I, well, I cannot really say it, but I have to sing the entire song, the national anthem. Okay, and I cannot do it by sitting. <laughs> I need to stand up. Yeah, we, we just have to because it's national anthem. <laughs> okay, so here I here, okay, here it goes. Sayatunga fulka hami eute mala nepali sarva bhambe failieta mechi mahakali prakiti ka koti koti sampada ko achala viharu karagatali shotantara atala Yanabumi Santi Bumi Tare Pahimala Akanda Yapiada Hamra Mati Bumi Nepala Baunjati Vasa Therma Sanskrit Hitan Visala 
So remember, I looked at Shomai when I pointed those, when I said the three words, Tarai Pahar Himala, it's in our national anthem too. So when whenever you you ask me mountains, like I would have to say, did you mean Pahar or Himal? So yeah. So that can that kind of con can confuse me. But well, I would just like to tag along and try to link it to more the mountain of the Western world, if somebody asked me here. So yeah, <laughs> you have to be very specific when you are trying to ask me about mountains. What mountains? Is it Pahar Himal? Is it the hills or the, the snow-capped mountains? If you translate into English. Thanks, Prashanti, for sharing your stories and your voice, even singing for us. We really do appreciate it. Also, thanks to you all for listening. Uh, thanks to Dr. Poo for inviting us to collaborate on this project, which is supported by the Whiting Foundation Public Engagement Programs with one of their seed grants. We'll be back next week, and we'll be releasing stories from Asian voices throughout September. In the meantime, it looks like we'll be putting our masks back on, so be safe out there. Our theme song is Home by Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. You should check them out. And until next time, we'll see you. Bye.